I met many of you for the first time this morning. I'm excited to get to know you all even more over the next few weeks. Just to let you know, after the service, I'll be in the lobby. Um, I'd love to greet you and meet you and chat with you if you, if you have time. Uh, but friends, I just want to, before we get into the, the preaching this morning, I just want to start by saying thank you. Uh, thank you to this congregation, to our session, our diaconate, our staff. Thank you for giving me the space and the time uh, to be away on sabbatical these 15 weeks. It was a, it was a wonderful time. I, I do feel very uh, refreshed, rejuvenated, um, excited uh, to be here today, uh, excited to dive into to Hebrews uh, today. Uh, special thanks goes out to, to people like Blair and, and Ladd and, and Dave, uh, Matt for doing a lot of the preaching. Very grateful for you guys. When I started the sabbatical, many of you know that uh, that that third month of the sabbatical was, was supposed to be spent having surgery and in recovery and then actually preparing for a second surgery. Just real brief on that. Uh, some of you know I had a total shoulder replacement about five years ago uh, in my left shoulder um, and then also my right. I've had both shoulders replaced. But... I had a pretty good four and a half years, but back in February, I started having some, some significant pain in my, in my left shoulder and did some tests, an aspiration, a CT scan, even had an exploratory surgery. And they told me, they said, Adam, uh, it looks like we're going to have to take out the prosthetic that we put in, uh, put you on a pick line for several weeks and bring you back weeks later and then do another surgery to put it back in and then you'll have months of recovery. It was going to be a seven-month process, really. And that was what I was going to do and start in, in, in August. And over the summer, I really just found out uh, my, my sugar level was, was way too high and the doctor encouraged me to get that down. And June was a pretty bad month for me. I was in a lot of pain. Uh, not really functioning, uh, ice pack every hour, um, pain meds. But when I stopped the sugar in three weeks, I didn't have any pain and I didn't have any ice packs. I was still planning on having the surgery, but when I told the surgeon what had happened, he said, hey, you might have, you might have got it because sugar feeds inflammation and the result is pain. And I had no idea. Who knew? Not me. <laughs> But uh, he said, listen, you might have identified it. Let's not do the surgery. You might have to have it one day, but it's not this week. He said, uh, Let, let's delay and keep living like you're living. And, and I've been trying to change my, my diet and walk every day and things like that. Deirdre cried for five days when she found it. She's probably crying right now. <laughs> but I just, that, that was such a blessing. Uh, for, for me, uh, just an answer to prayer. So many of you were praying for me for that. Thank you. You're, thank you very much. Uh, so this last month of sabbatical has looked completely different than what I thought it would look like. I've been able to kind of dive even more into the book of Hebrews, so I'll share with you in just, just a moment. But it's so good to, to be back. Uh, but thank you for the time with the family. Thank you for praying for me. I continue to feel very uh, much better than I did, and uh, we'll hopefully keep on that path uh, in, in the recovery, but, uh, but good to see you. Francie, I want you to know that I, I got the visitor card. 
I'll be filling that out soon today and putting it in the, the basket. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you this morning. As has been announced the past couple of weeks, we're starting a new sermon series today. It's on the book of Hebrews. I invite you to join with me, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll look at verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 9, we'll look at one verse. Now, I want you to know, friends, that we are going to go through Hebrews verse by verse. We're going to do an expositional verse by verse study. That's going to start next week. What I felt like was important today before we start that study is to give you an introduction, to give us all an orientation, if you will, to this book so we have a proper understanding of the context, the author, the, the audience of the book, what are the major themes of the book, just an orientation, if you will, before we dive into verse 1 of chapter 1 next week. So today is really an introduction to the book of Hebrews, I will be taking these two texts from Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 9 to use them today. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. The Lord Jesus once said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of those realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then chapter 9 and verse 12. Speaking of Jesus. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves. But by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Friends, the grass will wither and the flowers will fall. But the word of God, it will stand forever. Pray with me please. Our God and Heavenly Father, as we become before Your Word, we confess publicly that this is the very Word of the living God. This is not someone's best efforts on paper, but it is the inspired, the inerrant Word of God coming down from Your Holy Spirit who led men to write it. And Father, we understand that it is truth in a world that is filled with lies. It is our only standard, Lord, that we are able to turn to the, of perfection, your word. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you unite this word with our hearts and our minds and continue to mold us and to shape us into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we learn to love you and the things of God even more today. And as we set out now as a congregation to study the book of Hebrews, Holy Spirit, guide us, we pray. May every word that proceeds from this preacher's mouth honor and glorify you. Remove every distraction from this place that we might see Christ more clearly. We love you. We thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, please be seated. One more little commercial. If you would like 
an extra study to the book of Hebrews as we go through this. Here's a book called Hebrews for You by Dr. Michael Kruger, who's the president of RTS Charlotte. Matt has ordered many of these. They're on the resource table. See Matt, he will get you one if you or your small group would like to go through it. Friends, when I was about nine or ten years old, I was in the Cub Scouts. Anyone ever do Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts growing up? A few hands. And I remember as a nine or ten-year-old, one of the things that came with being a Cub Scout was we got a handbook. A handbook. And one of the helpful things that the handbook offered was the handbook would teach me as a nine, ten-year-old boy how to do some difficult things that come along for nine and ten-year-old boys. For example, tying a tie. Tying a tie for a nine or ten-year-old boy, not that easy. So if you opened your Cub Scout handbook, you'd see a drawing like this, and it would give you the basic steps to understand the, the difficulty or the challenge of tying a tie, and I thought that, that's helpful. Or maybe how to start a fire properly. Like maybe most nine and ten-year-olds can start a fire, but can you do it properly? safely so you'd open the handbook right and it would show you oh here's the way to start a fire or maybe how to tie knots how to tie certain knots how do you tie a square knot those types of things might be challenging for a nine and ten year old but the handbook was there to show you how to do hard things so the handbook for me served as a as a tool a useful tool to do difficult things have you ever had maybe a useful tool to do something difficult Maybe you needed that math tutor to help you understand the difficulties of, of algebra. Or maybe you needed that boss to explain the difficulty of your, of your job. Your, it was, there was a challenge you had. You needed something explained to you. You know, it's, it's always helpful to have a tool when, when you're working with something difficult, something to help explain how to do something. Well, brothers and sisters, I mentioned this Cub Scout story to you today. Because many Christians today have a very, very difficult time understanding the Old Testament. They say, yeah, I, I get this New Testament story about, about Jesus and I see what he's doing and, and, and how he's teaching, but I don't really understand at all how it connects to the Old Testament. In fact, what's the use of the Old Testament. Do I, do I really need to read that? Do I really need to understand that? I, I just don't get it. What in the world does Jesus have to do with priests and tabernacles and Levitical systems and the Day of Atonement? Well, friend, if that's you, I know it was certainly me at one point in life, I want you to know that much like my Cub Scout handbook helped me understand difficult things, God gave you and he gave me the book of Hebrews to help us understand and figure out many of the difficult challenges that we read about in our Old Testaments. You could say it this way. Hebrews is the handbook to the Old Testament. You think about some of those hard and difficult things, maybe the priests and the sacrifices the Day of Atonement, you say, what does that have to do with Jesus in the New Testament? This is what Hebrews does. It explains it to you like a handbook. It tells you how to understand these difficult passages as you see these passages through the Lord Jesus 
Christ. You could say it this way. Hebrews helps us all understand the big picture of the Bible. How God didn't just start with the first advent of Jesus and start working, but He started all the way back at creation in the book of Genesis. And God has progressively through time opened up His plan of redemption and salvation in the Old Testament, yes, and even in the New. And Hebrews teaches us how to understand it all. So today, friends, as we introduce as we orient ourselves with the book of hebrews i have five points that i'd like to go through with you if you have your bulletin look on the back of the bulletin i pray this is a helpful tool for you as we walk through these five things today concerning the book of hebrews this handbook if you will to the old testament let's first talk about the date the author and the audience of hebrews Let's talk about some of the unique themes of Hebrews. And then zoom in for number three. What is the overall theme that we'll be using throughout this entire series? What's the purpose of this book? And then how does it outline? How should we understand the outline of this book? But join with me first of all. Let's talk about the date, the author, and the audience of the book. You know, when we talk about the date, when was this book written? Most people think it was written in the early to mid-60s A.D. Now, if you know history, you know that the Jewish temple was destroyed by the Romans between 70 and 72 A.D. So when the author of Hebrews writes this book, he writes about the sacrifices and the rituals of the temple in the present tense. Not the past tense, the present tense. So if he's writing about it in the present tense... That probably means the temple's still there. So it would make sense that it's before 70 A.D. since he's writing in the present tense because if he wrote it after, it wouldn't make sense for him to write it in the present tense because the temple wasn't there anymore. The author. Most of you might know this or maybe you don't know this, but we are not really exactly sure who the author of Hebrews is. Many people have thought it was Paul or Barnabas or even Luke, but the author is not specifically named. But friends, this is not a problem because chapter 2 teaches us that this author identifies himself as a disciple of the apostles, a disciple of the twelve, a companion of the twelve. So the things he is writing is coming directly from the apostles. It's an apostolic book. But maybe the most important thing to understand is the audience. Who's he writing to? And you kind of see it in the name, right? Hebrews. He's writing to people who were Jewish, but these people who were Jewish had come to embrace Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. These were Jews, yes, who had an Old Testament background, but they saw Jesus as the Messiah the coming one, and they embraced him as Lord and Savior. And as they're following hard after Christ in their lives, they're going through difficult persecutions, and as they're walking this way towards Christ, they have a little problem. Maybe you've had a problem like this in your life. They start looking back over their shoulder 
to the way life used to be under the Mosaic law. And they start thinking, yes, I know Jesus, but this Jesus thing is not all I thought it would be. Let me take my eyes off of Christ and let me look into my past. Oh, this thing from my past, I think this is a little bit better than what Jesus is right now. And they started looking back to the things of the Mosaic Law, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the rituals, and they took their eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the author of Hebrews uses this as an opportunity to write to them and to tell them, listen, you need to understand fully and completely who this Jesus is. He's not just someone who has saved you from your sin. He is fully God. He is fully supreme. He's the most wonderful and the most magnificent thing that you've ever had. But you've been tempted to take your eyes off of him and look back into your past on something else, thinking that this might be better than Jesus. And friends, that's just like you and me sometimes in life. Because as we're following hard after Christ, Many of us might look to the left or even to the right, or we might even look back on something and say, you know what, this looks a little shinier. This looks a little better than this Jesus thing. But the author of Hebrews is going to come to us in this book and says, listen, if that's you, if you're taking your eyes off of Christ for any reason, looking to the left, looking to the right, or looking behind you, you don't have a full understanding of who this Jesus is. Let me talk to you about who he is and what he has done. Because Jesus is the greatest and the most supreme, the most amazing thing that you could ever have in this life. Jesus is going to be better than anything you have. Now friends, take that for a moment and hold it, okay? We'll come back to that in just a moment. Let's look now... That's the second point in your bulletin, what I call the unique themes of Hebrews, and there's several. I'll try to go through this at a good pace here. One of the unique themes of Hebrews is Scripture. I encourage you over this next week, just take your Bible and just flip through Hebrews. And I want you to see how many settings in your Bible are you know, indented in your Bible or maybe in italics, because what's happening? The writer of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament. Did you know that the writer of Hebrews is in love with the Bible? He thinks that the Bible is absolutely wonderful, specifically this Old Testament that these Jews hold on to so much. He just wants these Jews to see this Old Testament properly through the lens of our Lord Jesus Christ. A moment ago, Matt read from Luke 24. We'll put this back on the screen for you. This is the Lord Jesus speaking. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and in one verse, he tells them how to understand the Old Testament. Luke 24, 44. If you've been with me for the past six years, you should know this verse by memory. If you don't, uh-oh. There's no test. Friends, do you know that this is the only verse in the entire Bible that puts the three parts of the Old Testament side by side by side? 
In the Jewish mind, the Old Testament broke into three parts. The law, the prophets, and the writings, or what's called the Psalms, the writings. And in this verse, the Lord Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me, where? And the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here's a little bit of Hebrew. You ready? T, N, and K. T for Torah, that means law. N for Nevim, that means prophet. K for Ketuvim, which means writings or psalms. Those are the three Hebrew words for the three parts of the Old Testament. Now, if you take the first letter of those three words and you put the letter A between them, you see it T-A-N-A-K, or Tanakh, the Tanakh is the Jewish Bible because it has the T, the N, and the K, the Torah, Nevim, Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, and the Writings. So look at what Jesus is doing. In one verse, he tells his disciples that the Law of Moses, the Torah, the Prophets, the Nevim, and the Writings of the Psalms, the Ketuvim, Jesus says they're all about who? They're all about him. That that entire Old Testament was written not to just tell you a story about a priest who went inside a room to sacrifice an animal. It was written to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he would come and do on this earth. So how do we see and understand now the New Testament in light of the Old Testament? Does the New Testament replace the Old Testament? Do we even need the Old Testament anymore? I mean, we call it old, right? The Old Testament. Oh, the New Testament. Is it old in the sense that we need to get rid of it? Because every day we buy new stuff, right? And throw old stuff away. Do we need to throw the Old Testament away? What's so new about the New Testament? My professor, Dr. Carroll, would ask that question in class. What's so new about the New Testament? He says, actually, let's use a different word than new. Let's use the word better. Better. You see, the Old Testament is not old in the sense that it needs to be discarded. It's old in the sense that it was telling a story. And when it ended, that story wasn't complete. And the story needed to keep going. It needed to finish. We needed a better ending than what we got in the Old Testament. So God gave us this New Testament or this better testament that tells us the end of this amazing story. Now I'm going to use an example here. I thought about this. Over the past few weeks, I'm like, well, what example should I use here? And I thought, maybe this movie, have you seen the movie The Karate Kid? You know, that movie was made in the 80s. I can't tell you how many times I watched that last scene with Daniel and Johnny. And then it was remade for the new generation. But maybe you've seen that movie. It's a story about this, this young man who moves from Jersey to, to California. And he... He gets mixed up with this other group. You have Daniel, 
the guy from New Jersey, and, and, and Johnny on the other side from California. And, and Daniel doesn't really do himself any favors, but he gets himself into a situation where he gets bullied and, and uh, trained by Mr. Miyagi and ready to face Johnny and the Cobra Kai there at the end of the movie. I want you to think about, remember that movie, think about what if you watch that movie, but you never watch the ending? What if, what if you watch that whole movie, but you never watch the All-Valley Under-18 championship there at the end? Would you feel like you really got that movie? <laughs> you wouldn't, would you? Because you knew there was more to come. In fact, you knew the climax was to come. Maybe you didn't know what would happen, but you knew this whole movie was moving towards a climax. But if you never saw that, you would say, man... I need something better than this. I need this to be finished. In the same way, God gives us this big story in the Old Testament. And then when it ends, you sort of feel like, man, this is great. But there needs to be more to come. Where's the climax? And that's when God sends Christ and gives us that amazing climax. And you could say, it's a fight. Because Jesus came and he fought sin and death and hell and defeated them. And he defeated them for you. And he gives us this beautiful, this better completion of the Bible in the New Testament. So yes, we need the old and we need the new because the new really completes the old. Look next at what I call progressive revelation. And I hope this picture that I'm going to show you helps you understand what I just said about scripture. Let's talk about the word revelation for a moment. Revelation means to pull back the curtain or to pull back the veil. Ladies, when you walk down the aisle, some of you might have had a veil on. And when you pulled it back at your wedding, that was a revelation. You got to show your husband what was behind the veil. Or if you've ever been to a play, the curtains start closed and they open and you get to see what's hidden behind the curtain. That's what revelation means. Well, the Bible says that God has given us his revelation progressively through time. Now, don't be upset at that word progressive. I'm not talking about left-leaning liberalism or anything like that. I'm talking about the fact that God has chosen to progress his revelation, to open it up more and more fully through time. Think about it this way. In the beginning, God gave us a covenant with Adam, and he opened the door about that wide and gave us a plan. And God told Adam that the seed of woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. And then a little bit later, he gave us Noah and God's covenant with Noah and the rainbow of the promise. A little bit later, he gave us Abraham. Abraham, he told Abraham, through you and your seed, all nations will be blessed. Then a little bit later, he opened the curtain a little more and gave us Moses and the Mosaic law and the Ten Commandments, the sacrificial system, the Levites, the priests, the tabernacle. A little bit later, he gave us David, who was a shepherd king, because one day Jesus would come and be a shepherd king. A little bit later, he gave us the prophets who said, Thus saith the Lord. 
Let me tell you the plan of God. And all of this stuff throughout the Old Testament was like a curtain being opened just a little bit at a time. David, Noah, Abraham, Moses. Noah. Did I leave him out? The prophets. And then what's the climax? Jesus. Jesus. You see, if you end that story with the prophets... Think about that. If you end the story with the prophets, you're sitting here waiting. Man, I missed the ending. What's this climactic ending? And God says, wait no more, because in the fullness of time, God sent his son, and his name is Jesus. And he came to complete all of these covenants that God had given us through time. And Jesus is the crescendo. He's the climax. And Jesus is better than every single one of those covenants. Next slide. Shadows and realities. Do you remember the verse we read just a moment ago, Hebrews 10.1? It says, the law is but a shadow of the reality that's to come. Now, I've told this story a couple times, so maybe some of you will remember it. Go back to age nine again when I was in the Cub Scouts. I remember, kids, if you're listening, I remember being about that age and laying in bed at night, and I'd turn the light off in my room, but I'd leave my door open, and the light in the hallway was on, and I'd lay in the bed, and I'd wait for my mom or dad to come down the hall, kind of tuck me in and tell me goodnight. And I can remember laying there as a child, and I would, I would look into the hallway through my open door, which was lit, and the light was set up in such a way that as my dad or my mom came down the hall... I could always see their shadow on the wall before I saw them come into the room. So when I saw my dad's shadow on the wall, that shadow taught me, hey, my dad's coming. Or my mom's coming. I saw the shadow first. And then later, I saw the reality of my mom or my dad coming into the room. Make sense? Here's what the Bible says to you. It says that the entire Old Testament is a shadow. It's a shadow. Those priests, those sacrifices, that tabernacle, that temple, that ceremonial law is like a shadow or a foreshadowing, you could say, of that which is to come. The reality of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. What's better? Is it better to have an animal sacrifice every single year to be reminded of your sin? You did it this year, you'll do it next year, you did it last year. Is it better to have that? And that blood of those animals doesn't really take away your sin, it just reminds you of your sin. It reminds you of your need to be forgiven. What's better, this or the Lamb of God coming? Once for all, taking away the sin of the world forever. What's better? Jesus is better. What's better? Having Aaron dress up every year and having to offer sacrifices for himself and then for the sacrifice for the people every year? Or to have one great high priest come 
one time, not having to shed blood for his sins, but laying down his own life for the sins of his people. What's better? Jesus is better, right? What, what's better? Is, is it better to have this building with this big curtain that none of us could go behind to get into the presence of God? Except for one person once a year, the high priest. Or is it better for that curtain to be torn in two? That gives every single one of you access to the throne room of God through Jesus Christ's blood. What's better? Jesus is better. And friends, this is what this drawing is teaching you. That in the Old Testament, you have the shadows of the law coming down. Shadow after shadow after shadow. Priest, sacrifice, temple, tabernacle. But now in Jesus Christ, the reality itself of the Son of God coming down, shedding His blood once for all, giving us eternal redemption, isn't that better? Amen. That is better. Jesus is better. So you look at these themes, even these next few themes, of Jesus is the priest in the Old Testament sacrificial system. We just talked about that. Jesus is going to be better. The need for Jesus to be a man, to represent man, that is in this book. And then, of course, apostasy and perseverance. Let's talk about this apostasy and perseverance. Apostasy, in other words, setting out to follow Jesus Christ, yet at some point in your life, turning and walking away. As I mentioned to you, these Hebrews had been following Jesus Christ, but there was something that made them turn around and say, this is shinier, this is better, this is old, but I like it, and it must be better than Jesus. I'm thinking about leaving Jesus and going back to this old way. The writer of Hebrews is coming to you. Whatever it is you're looking at, if there's anything that you take your eye off of, take your eye off Jesus on, to, to look at, to follow, the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you don't understand who Jesus is. You need to see him in his fullness and his glory. Jesus is better. Don't turn away. Reminds me of that song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Friend, it brings us to our overall theme of Hebrews, which is simply this. We'll put it on the screen. Jesus is better, so don't give up. No turning back, rather persevere. Because I want you to know, friend, that Jesus is better than anything you could have in your life. Think about this this way. Did you know that to the astronomer, Jesus is better because he is the bright and morning star. To the architect, Jesus is better. Because Jesus is the strong and mighty tower. To the baker, Jesus is certainly better. Because Jesus is the living bread. To the builder, Jesus is better. Because he is always the perfect cornerstone. To the carpenter, Jesus is better. Because he is the foundation on which everything else rests. To the doctor, Jesus is better because Jesus is the great physician. To the engineer, Jesus is better because he is the blueprint not only for your life, but for my life. 
To the farmer, Jesus is better because he is not only the sower, but he's the seed. To the funeral director, Jesus is better because he's the resurrection and the life. Friend, to the geologist, Jesus is better because he is the rock of ages. Did you know that this book right here, the Bible says, this world will lead you to darkness, but Jesus will lead you to light. Jesus is better. This world will lead you to eternal death. This book says Jesus will lead you to eternal life. Jesus is better. This book says that this world will give you food for your stomach, water for your mouth. But you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. You're going to be thirsty again tomorrow. But this book says that Jesus will give you food for your soul. He will give you drink that you will never be thirsty again. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the door, the root out of dry ground, the head of the church, the son of righteousness. Friend, Jesus is better. He is so much better, so don't give up. Don't put your eyes on the things of this world. Don't be distracted by this world that you give up on Christ. And now we get to the purpose. The purpose of this book, dear friend, is to show all of us that Jesus is supreme. These Jews were in danger of turning back. They were in danger of giving up and walking away but the writer of hebrews says don't you understand all those shadows that you want to turn back to they're nothing but shadows the reality is in is in christ see christ jesus is better don't give up dear friend but here's the problem and it's the problem that john calvin identified so many years ago he says our hearts are like idol factories. That each and every day, each one of us have a heart that produces little idols. We look at things maybe like worldly success or relationships or ourselves and say, let me go after that because that looks shinier than Jesus. That looks better than Jesus. But the author of Hebrews says, let me show you. Let me show you how superior Jesus is. And Jesus says, let me go after the idol that's in your heart. And whatever you think might be better than me, let me show you how superior I am to all of that. Dr. Kruger says it this way, Hebrews will go after the idol factories in our hearts and convince us that Jesus is better than them all. Look finally at this outline. You can walk through this entire book and say, hey, Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets, the angels. He's better than Moses and Joshua. He's better than the priests. Let's see that priestly work in Christ. And now let me exhort you concerning your faith. But along the way, you see what's in red. Warning! Warning! I thought about playing the trumpet for you and blowing that, but... The Bible's here to get your attention. Some people say, don't give me a warning. Warnings are bad. That's negative language. 
Biblical warnings can be some of the most helpful things that you ever have in your entire life. And if you're thinking about walking away from Christ, the author of Hebrews, not once, not twice, but six times, gives us a warning to examine a relationship with God. Let us be decisive and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Dear friends, Hebrews, as I said, is the handbook to the Old Testament. Sometimes we all need a handbook. We need this helpful understanding of how to really grasp a difficult concept. And I pray that we would learn to understand the hard things of the Old Testament through the book of Hebrews. And I pray that we would see how the New Testament story doesn't discard the Old Testament. It completes it. It completes it. It is a better ending than what we had. I pray that we all learn to see the law, the prophets, the writings, the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketuvim through the lens of Christ. And I pray that we all would learn to love Scripture the way the author of Hebrews loves Scripture. You talk about a person who loves his Old Testament, that's the author of Hebrews. And I pray that as we set out to follow hard after Jesus Christ, that we would not turn back and look at other things. Maybe the things of our past like they did in Hebrews. Maybe it's something to the right or to the left of our lives. Maybe it's a success or a relationship. Or maybe it's our own self that we're looking at. That we wouldn't look at that, but we would look at the reality of who Jesus is and what He has done. And I pray that every one of us would fall in love with Jesus anew and afresh again. May our love for God, may our love for Christ increase as we study this book. Friends, Jesus is better. So don't, don't give up. One question I challenge you, challenge myself to think about over this next week before you come in here next Sunday. Ask this of yourself. What are the things in my life that I might consider better than Jesus? What are the things that I give my attention to, that I give my time to, that I give my energy and efforts to, that for some reason I think is better than my relationship with Jesus Christ. Think through that this next week. Let's pray together. Our God and Heavenly Father, thank you for a congregation who can endure a long-winded preacher this morning. And thank you for the opportunity, God, to uh, study this book together. Thank you for the opportunity, God, to break open your word and to see how you are so much better than anything this world might have to offer. 
Lord, take us as a congregation. Continue to mold us and shape us into thine image, we pray. And may indeed the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. And may we never replace you with anything in this world. But may we say, hey, I know Jesus is better. And I'm not giving up. I'm going to follow hard after Christ. No turning back. No turning back. In Christ's name, amen.